Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. This summer we are working our way through uh, the book of Acts, and we are today in Acts chapter 9. This is known as the call story of Saul. Meanwhile, Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest seeking letters to the synagogues in Damascus. He found persons who belonged to the way, whether men or women, these letters would authorize him to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. During the journey, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven encircled him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? Saul asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are harassing, came the reply. Now get up and enter the city. You will be told what you must do. Those traveling with him stood there speechless. They heard the voice, but saw no one. After they picked Saul up from the ground, he opened his eyes, but he couldn't see. They led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and neither ate nor drank anything. In Damascus, there was a certain disciple named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, he answered, yes, Lord. The Lord instructed him, go to Judas's house on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias enter and put his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias countered, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man. People say he has done terrible things to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's here with authority from the chief priest to arrest anyone who calls on your name. The Lord replied, go, this man is the agent I have chosen to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias went to the house. He placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me, Jesus, who appeared to you on the way as you were coming here. He sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly flakes from Saul, fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After eating, he regained his strength. He stayed with the disciples in Damascus for several days. Right away, he began to preach about Jesus in the synagogues. He is God's son, he declared. Everyone who heard him was baffled. They questioned each other, isn't he the one who was wreaking havoc among those in Jerusalem who called on this name? Hadn't he come here to take those same people as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and stronger. He confused the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Now, O Lord, we pray that you would come and speak to our hearts, our minds, our souls, teach us something new today. 
about ourselves and about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as I said, through the summer, we're working our way through the book of Acts. Uh, it's the story of, of the early church. This is the, the, the beginnings of what we know the church to be today. Uh, in the aftermath, if you will, of Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and then the gift of the Spirit. This is how things were just getting going. Last week, Pastor Emily shared the story about the stoning of Stephen, who we believe to be the first Christian martyr of the church. He wouldn't be the last. In fact, as we work our way through Acts, we see growing opposition to the Christian movement, and we know persecution has continued in the church to this present day. There was a line last week that unless you know the story well, you might, you might have missed, you might overlook. As this crowd was was angrily heaving stones to kill Stephen, this line appears, Acts 7, 58. The witnesses placed their coats in the care of a young man named Saul. Now, the focus, of course, last week was the stoning of Stephen. But well, we get this, this glimpse that while this is going on, there's somebody named Saul over to the side that everyone just said, hey, hold my coat while I throw rocks at a guy. That's, that's the image. Well, well, who is this Saul? We begin today's passage with this interesting word, meanwhile. Meanwhile. The church was moving forward. The Spirit was working in the lives of early disciples. More and more people were coming to the Christian faith. This was gaining momentum. Meanwhile, what, what's the meanwhile? Meanwhile, behind the scenes, some people weren't so happy about what was happening. Meanwhile, as the church was gaining momentum, some were afraid. Some were troubled. There was fretting. There was anxiety, there was plotting, and this Saul was at the middle of it. Now, I should tell you, this Saul that we're talking about, same Saul as Acts 7, same Saul that we would later come to know as Paul, the Apostle Paul. Saul's the Hebrew version of the Greek name Paul, same, same name. Acts 9.1 says, meanwhile, Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Who is this Saul? Saul was a, a Pharisee. You remember the Pharisees? The guys that had Jesus killed, right? He was one of those guys. He was steeped in the beliefs and practices, the philosophy of the Pharisees who opposed Jesus. But now the problem was the disciples of Jesus claimed that he rose from the dead and this movement was gaining momentum. It was bad enough when Jesus was alive. Now there were masses of people saying that he had conquered death and the Pharisees said, this has to end. This can't continue. And so Saul goes to the chief priests, asks for letters to carry to the synagogues so that he can arrest and imprison captive, hold captive, and possibly, probably even have killed anyone professing to be a follower 
of Jesus. He had official sanctions to carry this out. So he's on his way to Damascus where he plans to go do some hunting for these early Christians. And on the way, something rather dramatic happens. It says in Acts 9-3, a light from heaven encircled him. That sounds a little um, underwhelming. I like the way the message says it. Saul was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. Right? All of a sudden, light shines so much that it blinds him. Seems to have knocked him off his horse, flat on his back. And then there's a sound from heaven, a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? Now, just picture it, right? Saul's flat on his back. (laughs) Voice from heaven, can't see. And he says, who are you, Lord? <laughs> who, who is this voice? He's dazed, he's shocked, he's confused. Who are you, Lord? It's interesting he uses the word Lord. Lord implies that maybe he thought it was God or possibly sometimes you see that in the Bible when it's an angel. But I'm willing to bet the one person that he did not think it could possibly be in that moment was who? Jesus Jesus, in his mind, was dead. Jesus couldn't be speaking to him. Well, you know the story. This was Jesus, right? Who are you, Lord? Now, he's just trying to identify who's the cause of what's happening, but it's a pretty good question, isn't it? Who are you, Lord? Seems to me that's a question all of us have to wrestle with at some point. Who are you, Lord? Who's the God that we believe in? What's the the character and the nature of the God that we proclaim? Does this God really exist or is it just something we've made up? Is he real? Is God good? Is God kind or is God wrathful? Is God forgiving or punishing? Is God close or far away? Is God weak or strong? Does God love me or does God hate me? Is God absentee or is God intimately involved in our lives? And what about this Jesus? This Jesus who claimed to be God's son, who claimed to be one with God. What on earth do we do with him? Saul, who we would know as Paul, later would tell the church in Colossia, he's the visible image of the invisible God. He would not have said that on this day on the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? Jesus responded, I am Jesus, whom you are harassing. Now get up and enter the city. You'll be told what you must do. Uh, Dr. Willie Jennings, one of my seminary professors, writes, Saul pursues, but he was being pursued. So why was, why was Jesus, the risen Jesus, pursuing Saul? the Pharisee. And and I want you for a moment to try to put yourself in Saul's place. Again, flat on your back, hearing a voice you can't see, and all of a sudden the voice says, I'm Jesus who you are harassing. We know how the story goes. I just read it to you. But in that moment, what must Saul the Pharisee have been thinking and feeling? What must he think? Yeah, uh uh-oh, yeah, uh uh-oh. I mean, this is the very Jesus. He was, by being a Pharisee, was complicit in killing. This is the Jesus whose followers he was 
harassing. This was Jesus, he, who, who he had considered his arch enemy. In that moment, he had to be confronted with the error of his beliefs. He was convinced Jesus was a dead man, a false Messiah, and here he is alive and powerful. Why had Jesus found him on the Damascus Road? He also probably was aware all of a sudden of his own complicity in the death of Jesus, Stephen, and others. Why had this Jesus come? To punish him? To stop him? Certainly. To harm him? Maybe to kill him. But Jesus had other plans. In fact, pretty radical plans if you think about it. This would become his most radical devotee. This would become his apostle to the Gentiles. You may know the, the Southern Catholic novelist Flannery O'Connor. She once wrote in a letter about Paul, I reckon the Lord knew that the only way to make a Christian out of that one was to knock him off his horse. God does what it takes, right? Saul would soon discover that the God that he had been taught to believe in, his concept of God, was in error, was flawed. He, as a Jew, as a Pharisee, of course, believed there was only one God. He believed that the Jewish people were God's chosen people, but the Pharisees also believed that God was a punishing God, that God would punish his own people when they sinned. And so they believed in a very rigid set of beliefs and had a very rigid idea of how you were to behave. They talked about being clean or unclean. And there were specific things that would make you clean or unclean. And nobody, of course, wanted to be unclean. But it was because of this encounter with Jesus that Paul would eventually come to what I think is his most clear, most helpful insight into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You are saved by God's grace through faith, because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. That's where the Pharisees were. They thought they could earn their place with God. It's not something, he says, that you did, that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. Now, if you've been doing the daily readings with us, we have this online devotion, summerofthespirit.com. If you've been doing the daily devotions, by now you've gotten through this, and you would have noticed that this is one of a series of conversions in the book of Acts. If you go back to chapter 8, you see the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch and the Samaritans. If you jump past 9 to 10, you'll see the conversion of Cornelius and other Gentiles. And so Paul's conversion experience is right in the midst of a number of other conversions. Again, Dr. Jennings writes, Saul too will find, fall, Saul too will fall into the hands of a desiring God. Uh, there was an uh, old sermon by Jonathan Edwards from uh, the Great Awakening here in this country. That he had a famous sermon called Falling into the Hands of a What Kind of God? Do you know? Of an angry God. He's turned the phrase. Saul, too, has fallen into the hands of a desiring God. When you ask the question, Who are you, Lord? do you think of a desiring God? A God that desires you, 
a God that desires to be involved in your life, a God that desires to work through your life to do some purpose in the kingdom, a desiring God. This is not the wrathful, punishing God of the Pharisees. This is a God of grace. The God of the Damascus Road is a God that seeks and pursues and desires. This is a God of second chances. This is a God of new beginnings. And most importantly, this is the risen Jesus. Now, meanwhile, here's that, that word again. Meanwhile, this is happening out on the road to Damascus. Meanwhile, in Damascus, God shows up in a vision to a man named Ananias, a Christian. He tells Ananias, go to Judas's house on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias enter and put his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, Ananias had heard about Saul. He knew what Saul was in Damascus to do. And so he says, uh, God, excuse me, I don't think so, bad idea. Uh, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man. People say he has done horrible things to your people in Jerusalem. He's here with authority from the chief priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name, assuming God wasn't fully informed of the situation, right? You can always count on God being fully informed, right? So God says to Ananias, go. This man is the agent I have chosen to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias complies, and Saul's new life begins. Within, literally within moments, his his. Sight is recovered. Scales fall from his eyes. He's baptized. He receives the Holy Spirit. It says within days he's in the synagogues preaching about the risen Jesus. This is the poster, right? The poster child version of the radical conversion. He's radically transformed instantaneously. In fact, we know it's hard for others to really count on it, believe it. It just happened so quickly. Leonardo Boff, the theologian, says, God is not tied down, but breaks in at will, upsets human plans, acts with irresistible power, reveals a wisdom that confounds all human understanding. He wasn't writing about Paul, but he could have been, couldn't he? This is the God who does what he wants to do. This is a God who breaks in at will. If you pay much attention to this quote, it ought to make you feel a little uncomfortable. This is a God that shows up and insists on God's own way. You suppose that could be true in your life and mine? You suppose one of these days God might show up on your road to somewhere? You suppose God might be trying to break into your life this morning? What if God was, is? In some ways, I think Saul, Paul, seems like the least likely candidate to become an apostle of Jesus to the Gentiles. He was a Pharisee. How do you overcome that sort of rigid belief? He was opposed to Jesus. He was opposed to Christianity. He was complicit in the deaths of Jesus and Stephen and others. How do you overcome that sort of sin in your life? And he was so deeply steeped in the Pharisees' way of thinking and believing. How, how do you then uh, embrace a theology like incarnation? 
like resurrection, like the divinity of Jesus? How do you, as a clean, supposedly clean Pharisee, begin to, to be involved in the lives of unclean Gentiles? I, th- I think if you read the letters of Paul, by the way, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. If you read his letters, you get a sense that he understood the irony of God choosing him. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ appeared to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as if I were born at the wrong time. I am the least important of the apostles. I don't deserve to be called an apostle because I harassed God's church. I am what I am by God's grace. That is a great theological statement. Maybe say that with me if that means anything to you. I am what I am by God's grace. He would have been a good Methodist, this Apostle Paul, I think. So in some ways, he's like the least likely choice. But I also wonder if in some ways he's the most likely choice. We find out later that he was both a Jew and a Roman citizen. Most Jews were not Roman citizens. And as a Roman citizen, he would have certain rights and privileges and access that nobody else would have. He was well-educated as a Pharisee. So who better to wrestle with the implications of a different Messiah than the one they had expected. He was undeniably a legalist. I don't know if you've ever been a legalist or been in a legalist tradition, but I have to wonder sometimes if it's the legalists who are most aware of how hard it is to live up to your legalism. Sometimes it's those who make the rules and believe in the rules who have the hardest time living up to the rules. And he was zealous, wasn't he? I mean, he, he, he asked for permission to hunt down these Christians. He was zealous. Well, that same zeal would now be applied to his work as a Christian, a Christian apostle. Victoria Lures, in writing about her own sense of call, said, authentic callings are usually unexpected, unexpected, and also somehow deeply familiar. It's both. At first, you may be shocked by the glimpses of who you actually are capable of being. That certainly is true, right? Saul's call is unexpected. It's in some ways very shocking, and yet on the other, it fit him like a glove. Within days, he was preaching. It it just seemed to naturally fit into who he was. Also writing about the call, Belden Lane writes, Jesus reveals a God who empties himself of power so as to identify with those on the underside of history. Yet... This God reaches out as well to those who have been abusers of power, lost now in the darkness of self-disgust and despair, all of the unloved and the unlovable. God declares, no one is beyond the reach of grace. God declares, no one is beyond the reach of grace, which is a hint about where we're going in next week's sermon. Elaine was not talking about Saul, but he certainly could have been. Or he could be talking about you and me. God declares no one, no one, no one is beyond the reach of grace. 
Now, I, I'm willing to admit that very, that very likely most of us will never have a Damascus Road type experience, at least in terms of the, the, the drama of it, the externals of it. Most of us aren't getting knocked off a horse and blinded so that we can be followers of Jesus. And yet, is it any less dramatic when someone gives their life to Christ? And understand that God has a purpose in each of our lives. I wonder if sometimes it's just too hard for imagine anything like that could actually happen to me. Maybe you think you've sinned too much. Well, Saul was a murderer. So was Moses in the Old Testament. So was King David. Or maybe you think you're too young to receive a call from God. Well, so did Jeremiah in the Old Testament and Timothy in the New. Or maybe on the other end, you think you're too old to have a purpose in God's plans. So did Abraham and Sarah. So did Elizabeth and Zechariah. So did Noah. So did Moses. Maybe you think you're too uneducated. I guarantee every person in this room is more educated than the apostles were. Or maybe you're just afraid. So was Ananias. I wonder if one of the reasons the Bible tells us all these stories of conversion and calling is to challenge our insecurities, that we think, oh, that could never happen to me. I wonder if we're given these stories, not just so we know about people like Saul, but so that we know something about ourselves and the possibility that God might just work in our lives the way God worked in Saul's life. I think the story of Saul is a reminder that God's grace is sufficient, even for a murderous zealot like Saul. No matter how great the sin, no matter how far the distance, no matter what road you're heading down, no matter how unlikely the call, God's grace is more than sufficient. You and I may never have a a Damascus Road story to write down and tell people about, But I think God's intent for Saul was the same intent he has for you and for me, to get us on the right road, to discover who God is, a God of grace, and discover that God has a purpose for every single one of us. Hopefully it won't require getting knocked off a horse for us to find that out for ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for this moment that you intervened in his life, for the transformation and for the good fruit that you brought. We're still learning from the insights he gained from this moment that started in this moment. And Lord, we especially thank you for grace, a grace that finds us even when we're not looking for it, a grace that changes us ways that we can't change ourselves, a grace that points us in the right direction, Grace that gives us sight, even when we're spiritually blind. Teach us about that, Lord. Not just to to know another story from the Bible. Teach us so that we can know it in our hearts. Teach it to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org 
or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.